0: Welcome to Roots to Foods, the podcast where we dig deep into the world of agriculture, technology, and climate adaptation. I'm your host, Ovidiu Gujaran, Technical Director for Partnerships and Investments with AV Ventures, the impact investing arm of ACPI Boca, a 60-year-old nonprofit U.S.-based organization, and the global leader in market systems development. I designed the Roots to Foods podcast series because I deeply believe in the power of entrepreneurship to solve serious societal problems, such as food security, food resilience, and specifically access to economic opportunities. To unlock the potential of food resilience on the African continent, we need three paramount resources, scalable agriculture technologies, driven entrepreneurs, and smart impact investing capital. The purpose of our podcast is to bring leapfrogging and impactful ideas and entrepreneurs forward while also inspiring the next wave of exceptional African entrepreneurship. Our podcast will feature breakthrough technologies, entrepreneurs, and organizations that quickly scale food system solutions benefiting many African communities. Roots to Foods itself is an entrepreneurial effort of a small team of dedicated and caring professionals. We will build on the suggestions of our listeners and seek tenaciously to continuously improve the substance of our podcast and their production quality. The Roots to Foods podcast is a rich resource hub and community of entrepreneurs, executives, and investors in the ag tech food systems and climate adaptation sectors in Sub-Saharan Africa. Our first episode, Breaking Ground on Enhancing Innovative Financing in Agriculture, has been developed on the foundation of a very substantive panel conversation that took place during the 2023 US-Africa Business Summit that was organized by the Corporate Council on Africa. Our panel guests will be introduced by the panel moderator, Mr. Amadou Maktarba, Executive Chairman of All Africa, one of the most reputable African media companies. Additionally, our podcast will feature an interview with one of the most dynamic entrepreneurs in AV Venture’s portfolio. Mr. Moses Malagan, founder and CEO of AgroInova, a Ghanaian company that is a pioneer in digitizing agriculture in Africa. Stay tuned for insightful discussions, expert interviews, and actionable insights that will empower you to be a force for positive change in your community.
1: My name is Amadou Makarba. And I'm the Executive Chair of World Africa. Welcome to this session. Our session title is Driving Sustainable Development Through Innovative Financing. So today we are honored, ladies and gentlemen, to have a distinguished panel with a group of outstanding experts who are significant contributors to harnessing innovative finance models for sustainable development. In Africa, so this morning we'll explore the transformative power of innovative finance and its potential to unlock Africa's immense potential for positive change. We are privileged this morning to have with us this morning Dr. Franny Leutje, who is the senior partner at Southbridge Group and CEO of Southbridge Investments. We also have with us this morning. Alinvar, Var, Director of Strategy and Business Development at the Foundation for Partnerships Initiatives in the Niger Delta, Nigeria. And also joining us this morning is Efe Brahima, Associate Principal and Head of Nigeria Advisory at Curse Boundary. We also have with us this morning Obiju, Technical Director of Partnership and Investment at AGD, DOCA, AV Ventures. And last and certainly not least, we are honored to have Ambassador John Simon. is the founding partner of Total Capital Impact. So, without further ado, let's dive into the panel. And we want to start with... Dr. Strani Leotia and Ambassador Simon to just explain the innovative ways in which philanthropic capital can be leveraged to attract market resources for investing in Africa.
2: Uh, Thank you very much, Amadou, and it's great to see you. And uh, congratulations on the great work that allafrica.com does in getting African messages out. Your question is very pertinent given the context, as you just said, which is meeting the sustainable development goals and other important global social and climate-related goals, Uh, because philanthropy has three characteristics that make it unique as a source of capital to deal with these types of problems. First, because it's patient. Philanthropic capital can be there for years. I have an example in uh, the case of Zambia, where philanthropic capital from, in this case, the Rockefeller Foundation, supported for more than 20 years the idea that you could develop mini grids that could receive renewable energy from distributed sources and then be plugged into the transmission network to be used across multiple countries. And that solution now is becoming so critical as we now do this major. Energy transition. So, philanthropy was there early with the innovative, very risky idea, but that, that paid off. So, the patience, I think, is one important characteristic. The other one is flexibility. I'm always quite amazed at how you can use philanthropic capital, depending on which country it's coming from and how the structure of that capital was originally designed, to actually fit in different levels of the capital stack that you need to get massive complex development projects off the ground. Many examples exist, but uh, the, the one that I could pick up is the recent decision by IKEA Foundation, Bezos Earth Fund, and Rockefeller Foundation to put their money towards the goal of getting energy solutions across the world and you have there the Global Energy Alliance with and Planet where the capital that's available over at 1.5 billion dollars right now can be used flexibly to drive these kinds of transformation whether it it's the policy dialogue investing in a new private sector idea or helping the government to achieve a major solution the third characteristic and I think this one is, is also quite critical is how philanthropic capital actually can come in a different state of a development problem, whether it's the early stages of feasibility, capacity building, skills development, and so on, or whether it's at the dearest in phase where you want to then crowd in other investors. And this flexibility of coming in at different points, I think makes it a very unique source of capital. Another example there, uh, you take what has been done, for example, by the Gates Foundation to eradicate polio. So whatever it takes, to eradicate polio, the funding will be available. Or you take the Gavi uh, for vaccines or the uh, uh, HIV, AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria through the Global Fund, and I'm sure Ambassador Simon, which is where I met him actually at uh, the Global Fund, uh, would be another example of that kind of use of philanthropic gaps. So I think patience, flexibility, and this sort of customizability to fit into different stages all of the development challenges and be the unique features of philanthropy.
3: I think they're all examples of what we call blended finance. So blended finance is really the concept of taking a whole spectrum of capital sources all the way from pure grants on the one end all the way up to almost commercial capital and even in some cases purely commercial capital and putting them together so that the whole is greater than the sum of the parts. And so that what you get as a result of blending the various sources of finance, the level of leverage mobilizes a lot more capital than what you would get if all you did is do a grant, or all you did is do an impact investment, or all you did is do a loan. And one thing to think about is that there's now a greater and greater uh, pool of capital that's out there looking for impact as well as financial returns that's available to be leveraged with philanthropic capital. And so the leverage that you can get is growing all the time as you have more capital that is valuing both impact as well as financial returns. And just to put some numbers to this, and the global Back investment network says that in their last survey, about it about more than a trillion dollars of the assets under management that, are, that is focused on impact. Most of that is actually looking for about a market rate return, but a third is looking for a below market rate return or even a return that's solely looking at capital preservation. So there's a significant number of investors out there who if they can get their money back, make it in that. And the way that you can give those investors confidence that they can get their money back is to de-risk their investment with philanthropic capital. Often that is in the form of some sort of guarantee or first loss. Sometimes that comes through through technical assistance. That's one of the most effective de-risking. And sometimes that comes through in terms of some sort of concessional equity or yeah, debt. Absolutely critical. And I want to turn to Alin Var and uh,
1: Ovidio. To ask them, you know, in addition to de-risking, how innovative finance and what else help overcome the traditional funding limitations for sustainable development projects?
4: Thanks, Amadou. Yeah, The oxymoron that is sustainable development with traditional philanthropic funding is the fact that Stone's Apple funding is limited in terms of time. You get in grant, it you have it for a period of time, you report back on it, and then it ends. So whatever efforts are being done during that window is not sustainable, which is why you know for me it's it's an optimal. What happens with the blended finance opportunities is generated capital that comes into these sectors in a development projects that actually causes continuity. Right. The other part of the limitations that we are currently dealing with under topic, traditional funding is the turnaround. Right. When you go in to apply for a grant, the turnaround time from application to actually having that funding, there's a large gap where there's a stagnation in actual program development. And the last part for me is once that has happened, then there is the uncertainty of continuity, yeah. right? So you're looking at philanthropic organizations that are functioning over a period of time on grant funding, on grant contributions, and beyond their programs, they're looking at their overhead, their operations, and the possibility of having to shut down because of gaps between contributions. So now aid agencies, government agencies around the world due to COVID, that funding now has decreased immensely. So leaning on that can only stagnate the efforts in philanthropic programming and reaching to blended finance. We're looking at opportunities to actually pick up the ecosystem, bring regenerative capital into the region, and actually
5: start sustainable development. Thank you. Thank you very much, Aline. Thank you, Amadou. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here. Very interesting points, both from Srani, uh, uh, Alin, and Ambassador. Our organization is working in 25 countries, 15 of which in Africa, and we build a hybrid model where ACDI voca provides the technical capacity building in the agriculture field. AV Ventures is the for-profit subsidiary provides the impact investing capital and we have built a functional model where we find synergies uh, at the local level to connect the opportunities that are identified through the technical capacity building with the capital. But one point I want to talk about, because I heard the huge numbers from Ambassador Simon, and I think they're there is available capital, but the key is how to unlock it. And I worked in entrepreneurship for many years, including with 80 countries in Africa, Asia, Latin America. And one of the problem I see is actually I use a metaphor of the ocean and excuse the metaphor. Maybe it's not the right one, but it exemplifies the problem. When you look at the structure of an economy, you see on the far right, you will see a handful of of blue whales the very big conglomerates or extractives the very large companies that on the far left you have a ton of sardines struggling entrepreneurs who are trying to make ends meet and through natural selection you have a handful again of tuna right entrepreneurs that actually through natural selection they remove the risk and they become investable and then on the other hand you have A lot of sitting capital waiting for the right scalable opportunities to be deployed so where i think it's a very interesting point and my organization is working on that to address the missing middle how can we build a more coherent stream of scalable ventures that will create the huge amount of jobs that are created for Africa. If you look at the population, Kenya graduates one million young people every year, only half a million jobs created. So every year adds like half a million on unemployment, right? So what we do with with our family funds, we have one focus on West Africa on Ghana, one focus on Kenya and one is Central Asia. We provide financing for the missing middle between two 50k and 1 million, and we are also being actively engaged to do two things. One is to provide innovative financing through revenue-based loans, and second, through the comprehensive market linkages that we generate with the CDI Voca project, we connect them to partners, to clients to other financing opportunities with other investment firms. We are looking as a system and we are seeking to partner with all the actors in the market to see how we can together, because this missing middle is everyone's opportunity. Tell us a little bit more about unique challenges and opportunities
1: in adopting innovative financing uh, models to address these development issues, whether it's poverty, uh, infrastructure development, access to clean energy, healthcare, education,
2: job creation. Thank you so much. And actually, that question lends itself to a lot of what my co-panelists have said. And I'll really just start with about where we can stop. There are a number of challenges with with adopting innovative financing for uh, sustainable development, but I'll I'll hit on just a few. So so the first is really just around the transaction dynamic that are involved in financing development. And when I think about the transaction dynamics, it covers a range of things like the risk perception, the size of the transaction, and um, the high cost of transaction. And really, as already said, when we think about financing development in Africa, financing SMEs are critical okay. for that. Um, I don't think we'll be able to reach our SDG goals without financing SMEs. But what you have is you have this conflict between what concessional capital is intended to do in financing sort of the early stage non-return generating entities and what commercial capital is traditionally intended to do. Um, and that creates that missing middle like we've discussed. And really, this is an opportunity for you know leveraging concession finance for de risking in form of guarantees, um, in form of first loss capital, and in form of technical assistance. Um, to really mobilize that commercial capital that can help us achieve scale. The second challenge I wanted to hit on is is the limited availability of bankable projects. Essentially, and really just lends itself to technical assistance as an opportunity, really using grant capital and concession capital to provide technical assistance to SMEs, entrepreneurs um, that have these innovative business models and these innovative ideas. The final point I was going to hit on is a lack of internal capacity or I want to say institutional constraints. For the investors. So when I think about purely philanthropic organizations, a lot of them don't have the private sector or the the investment. That can look at these transactions from a commercial lens because you still need that sustainability. Or when I think about asset managers or institutional investors, um, a lot of them don't have the technical skill set to diligence these innovative business models. I've worked with several commercial banks and asset managers that really didn't understand how to diligence um, a renewable energy opportunity or a mini grid um, and you have to work with them you know um, basically building capacity sharing benchmarks with them and getting them comfortable with this space to be able to deploy capital um, and I think both for investors donors as well as Part of the SMEs, there's a strong need for that capacity building and technical assistance that concessional capsule can really help unlock and thereby mobilizing commercial capital.
1: Absolutely, thank you. I think the capacity building aspect is critical to really make a difference in MIMSI. But I want to turn back to Ambassador James Simon and Noviju. which is just to ask you guys if you can talk to us a little bit more about the role of impact investing in driving innovation and sustainability and peace, security, while
3: at the same time fostering sustainable economic practices on the continent. Yeah, thank you. So one premise that we have at Donbac Capital, we are unabashedly an impact-first firm. In other words, we look to maximize impact with sustainable returns, not to maximize returns with sustainable impact is that there's a whole class of opportunities that produce viable returns, um, but not necessarily the returns that are attractive to purely commercial investors. And that for capital that's interesting in impact, there, there, there's the opportunity to put that capital to work in ways that hit the SDGs, that deliver healthcare, deliver water, deliver food, and yet aren't necessarily going to hit the 20 plus percent returns or the multiples that many commercial investors are looking for. And just because something doesn't reach that level of expected return doesn't make it not worthwhile doing. And part of what my view of impact investment is it's about broadening the aperture of what you see as reasonable opportunities to include those that provide real value to society and a sustainable return not necessarily the best return that you can find out there. And over time, those returns, as you're able to prove out the model, may in fact look better and better, especially when, when you think about things like what we went through the great financial crisis, when some of the things that people thought were such great returning opportunities actually turned out not to be that way. I would like to pick up on one other thing that Effie said that I think is vitally important. The way you look at some of these opportunities is very different than a pure commercial investor might, might look at them. I mean, for instance, we have a financing vehicle that finances water cooperatives. Which have difficulty getting financing from banks. And we finance the water cooperatives after they've been through a capacity building program that an NGO that identifies ways that they can improve their systems, they put in micrometers so they can charge people for, by for how much water they use instead of charging a flat fee. To build on the points of FN and also Ambassador
5: Simon, if we look very deep, we need to see that this missing middle issue. We need to feed the pipeline. And in my passport, the problem is similar. And I've done startup bootcamps where we work with entrepreneurs at idea, seed, and early stage. All the security problems we have now, and I know there is an increasing set of problems in the Sahel region, in Africa, and some other parts, are driven by economics. How can we actually support entrepreneurs as the driving force at the local level to start building that level of coherence and providing solutions? that would actually leapfrog not just like incremental change we are talking leapfrogging the way in pesa and in kenya transformed the mobile payment sector and like that i bet there are so many other examples but how can we put our minds together to organize a supporting structure bringing the patient capital that dr fanny mentioned earlier together with the government support i'm not talking financial support here. Yeah, i'm talking blessing and with smart capital that is able to identify those scalable opportunities in different sector healthcare, agriculture, education all of them. I supported in the past Eneza Education in Kenya for example. They provide an education solution for Kibera Slum in, in Nairobi where young kids who drop out because they cannot solve their their problems can get timely support via mobile solution. Now they are one of the most successful companies. I use it as an example where you can invest in a company that can solve broadly a problem. With our efforts with David Ventures, we are are actively involved in supporting entrepreneurs in agriculture in Burkina Paso for a partnership with Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. We think that by providing access to finance and supporting small, promising small and medium enterprises, then you can start unleashing this potential that we see because we Seen how uh, passionate African entrepreneurs are, and they are looking for creative solutions to solve these uh, problems. Absolutely, and amazing what I
1: listen to you, and you listen to Sahel region with all the security challenges which are there. I mean, I think you know this kind of conversation also needs to happen, probably locally, you know, because with all due respect to our governments and other leaders in the region, I mean, they need to hear more about this. Financing models and how they can be used in those areas, because quite frankly, I agree with you. One of the most of the challenges we have, primarily because of lack of opportunities and if you can unlock opportunities using these models and it's great. So I think
5: you know, this is something which needs to unlock locally too. this kind of conversation. Being on that so that's also part of our model as organization where we launched pilot funds in Ghana, in Kenya
0: and Central Asia and now we are scaling up. For example, we are currently raising AVAS, Heavy Ventures, Africa SME Fund $60 million impact fund for African and early growth stage SMEs operating in food systems, ag tech, inclusive financial services, renewable energy and blue economy. Primary countries of focus for AVAS will be Ghana, Kenya, Tanzania, Zambia, Mozambique and Burkina Faso. All of the six countries are countries where ACDI VOCA has multi-year USAID funded programs dedicated to market systems development. Our Africa SME Fund. EVAS will be paired with a 6 million technical assistance fund to provide free and post-investment support as well as comprehensive startup ecosystems. I want to pivot now back
1: to Strani and also in this uh, round of questions because certainly there must be a role to development bank and how can the unique role how can it interact with philanthropy and bilateral joint finance? And then, you know, for FA, you know, it's still in the conversation we are having any, you can add a little bit more.
2: Um, thank you, Amadou, for the question. And then pick up on what Ovi and Ambassador Simon have said in this targeting impact at the community level to create jobs and address multiple SDGs using this opportunity that Philanthropy capsule provides and the role then of MDBs within that. In the work that we did to the, um, for the G20 capital framework for the multilateral development banks. We had several recommendations but one blog of recommendations was around what we called innovative finance. And the ideas there uh, included, for example, how multilateral development banks can use philanthropic capital to de-risk in the examples have come up here to support long-term capacity building and technical assistance in areas that really require that local capacity building because philanthropy is very well suited for that and I'm sure with Aline's work in the Delta region for instance there are many examples there uh, and then thirdly how philanthropic capital can also come and catalyze private investment because we have a lot of market liquidity and how do you really catalyze it to come into these uh, opportunities so the mdbs can play a critical role in three ways first by making available the knowledge that they have about those challenges so how the sdgs stack up in a given country what are the good entry points for resolving them and what could be the potential solutions that could get you to scale the second role mdbs can play is by crowding in philanthropic capital to support these areas that we've been talking about this morning and there are many examples the mdbs have done so i take the example of the Islamic Development Bank which you know very well uh, they were going to give a loan to Pakistan Napoleon. so who comes to the rescue philanthropy to the gates foundation so they came in and they said look we'll be happy to buy down the cost of capital for pakistan to borrow in the markets so what what that did is it gave pakistan the balance sheet of islamic development bank as an mdb it allowed pakistan to borrow in the capital markets at a rate that they could afford because otherwise it would be commercially too costly and that gave them the resources they need eradicate volume which would never have happened before.
1: Thank you very much for that. Effie, do you want to ship more lesson? Just
2: out to what all our panelists have said around the um the importance of innovative financing models and how that can really address the challenges we face with traditional financing. I think there are three things that innovative financing models can do. The first is you can use innovative financing models to unlock existing pools of capital for new purposes so when i think about development infrastructure in africa there's a huge need for local commercial debt and patient capital and a great place to start is our pension funds so if you think about nigeria nigeria is sitting on 30 billion dollars of AUM, and i think between one to three percent of that is being invested in energy infrastructure renewable energy infrastructure and there's huge potential to unlock that using concession funding. So if we can de-risk these projects and provide technical assistance to these projects and and provide the the pension funds with with comfort um, and even create vehicles that allow the pension funds to invest and allocate risk appropriately, there's an opportunity to unlock that stimulus capital for development. The second opportunity is to unlock new sources of capital. So we're seeing innovative structures of deployed specifically to ideas like label bonds so there's been issuances of green bonds um, and even more recently sort of gender bonds and really what you can do here is attract sort of impact aligned capital from international sources to to finance these projects that have the development impact metrics that international funders would be looking at and then i think finally what's really interesting with with these innovative financing models is you can really drive outcomes a lot of innovative financing models are starting to look towards results-based financing Um, and that really aligns the incentive of the company or developer outcomes where you have milestone-based disbursements where you have uh, financial incentives to meet specific development outcomes and I think these are great ways that innovative financing can really address some of the limitations that traditional financing can do. Storytelling
4: the traditional philanthropic storytelling and actually marketing what it is that we are doing that is of value to the investor and to government. So we can be a relationship but there is an internal shift that has to happen because it is something that is going to be invaluable absolutely
0: thank you for joining us for the panel conversation we hope that you found the discussion engaging and informative now we invite you to join us as we delve into the grassroots level, exploring how entrepreneurs are revolutionizing their financial strategies. In our upcoming interview, we will be joined by Mr. Moses Malagan, founder and CEO of agro a Ghanaian company that is a pioneer in digitizing agriculture in Africa. In our conversation, we will explore three key questions. Let's hear Mr. Malagan sharing his valuable and practical experiences in building Agroinova into a successful and dynamic African agtech business. Innovative financing often involves unconventional methods. How did you finance your agricultural venture? What challenges did you face in securing funding at the grassroots level? And how did you overcome these challenges?
6: So AgroNova is an agriculture startup in Ghana, providing digital innovations with other farmers on the continent of Africa. as part of our work in Agro Innova, we make farmers become market resilient, connect farmers to ready and guaranteed market using digital innovation. As you rightfully asked, innovative financing has to do with how best we are able to bypass the traditional approach to assessing funding. Innova, we operate in commonly all value chains, whether the poultry, the maize, the soya, and we just added the share nuts uh, value chain to it. So typically in the poultry value chain, we have poultry or livestock farmers on one side, and we also have the input dealers who are providing meat. Inputs like maize, so, soya beans with the farmers used for their feed production. On the other side, the farmers are not able to, I mean, have enough funds to buy this maize or this input. And even if they do, they don't have the capacity to buy in the volumes, so they don't enjoy economies of scales. Likewise, this input dealers also are not able to reach out to these uh, farmers in terms of maybe capacity of these farmers to the capacity of the farmers to pick certain quantities. So what we do as a company is, I mean, we sit in the middle and on the ticket of digital innovation we are able to solve this issue and, and this is how we solve it. Typically, a, a poultry farmer who is in need of maize to prep feed for their, uh, for the best, dial to our USSD short code and we, we get uh, information through our dashboard that this farmer wants uh, products like maize for feed. Uh, through the same code, the maize seller or the input dealer who is selling maize also dials to inform us, he has Large volumes of maize to sell. All right, so we speak to both uh, and uh, sides of the coin, and we make sure we reach an agreement with the input dealer. So give us the maize for about fifteen to thirty days. We'll pay you back. We just have to give our uh, credit readiness to to the to, to the input dealer. So when we get the maize, we then transport it straight to the poultry farmer or the group of poultry uh, farmers in those community. Maybe some are taking quantities of maybe fifty bags, hundred bags. We do kind of, kind of a cluster supply to them and they pay back with either their are or pottery eggs, And so this is a kind of a practical demonstration of innovative financing where we, on our end, as a startup or an agri-tech company supporting farmers, we are through input financing, getting money or getting this kind of support to these farmers without uh, actually giving them physical cash for them to go and buy whatever they need. And by this approach, they're able to get their inputs timely. They are able to get the quantities that they, they, they need, and they are not going to sell to pay back because we have the large markets and we have, uh, off the agreements with restaurants or with hotels, with institutions. So they pay back with their portraits and they pay back with their umbrella, which they are very happy to do. And which on the other side, so we are creating constant markets for the inputs dealer and indirectly as a company. It's also helping with our balance sheets because then we don't have to use so much of our operational capital. We use that of the inputs, the less operational capital to support our activities in dealing with the farmers. So that's how innovative financing typically operates in the agri-tech space. What's about how to use innovations to bypass the traditional ways of going to the bank or raising to to support farmers. And uh, I mean, it's it's about scalability. How can we help them scale? We are necessarily putting cash and that's, that's what we do at Agro
0: Innova. Is there any platform for crowdfunding for entrepreneurs? Have you utilized any of this modern technology or digital platforms to raise funds or manage finances for your agriculture venture?
6: Yes, so uh, as a company, right from the beginning, our uh, Genesis has to do with partaking agri Architect Challenge organized by the Cosmos Innovation Center, where we're able to initially raise our $50,000 to start with. Thereafter, we have also been involved in one or two activities that has landed us in some kind of few grants to support our dealings with, with farmers. There are many platforms that are available now and they keep increasing, uh, especially after the COVID-19 came in and now the world has seen the need to focus on agriculture and countries becoming sovereign in terms of their food security. So there are a lot of interventions, especially in Africa from the the Western uh, world, the US, with the Europe support um, improvement of agriculture, especially on the tickets digital of digitalization. Um, so out of it, we have uh, digital platforms that you are able to take advantage of. Make some applications, make some possible, depending on the angle you want. If you want in the form of a VC or investor, you, you are able to now start your fundraising process. Or if you want in the form of a grant, then maybe you kind of assess or look for projects that are in line with your purpose as a company and you partner with those projects. And I mean, some of these projects have some support in terms of grants that enables you to also leverage on to for the purpose of the project. There are a lot of platforms that are available and a lot of funding. MasterCard is pushing a lot. Mest Africa is also pushing a lot in terms of supporting the youth, the the women, agricultural space. Have
0: you incorporated modern technologies or digital platforms to manage your finances and optimize your agricultural operations? And which mobile platforms are you currently using to manage and pay for your financial services?
6: One of our products I have payment service integrated into it. So customers who are operating through our Coco Market e-commerce or Coco Market USSD and dashboard or platform are able to make payments while they are requesting. And we have, I think we work we work with Paystack fintech uh, fintech companies. So Paystack, I think it's in Nigeria. We we have the APIs in our system. So we don't necessarily have to pay cash whilst you are making the order or the request you can pay through mobile money. With which we, we, as a company, our mission is to digitalize agriculture. So our approach everything we are doing is about how we can, how best we can use technology or basic digital solutions to in- improve or enhance whatever we are doing. In terms of payment to farmers from we get that form. we do not pay cash as a company to farmers in Ghana and most of them have mobile money and some of them also have bank. So these are the two means by which we provide them service. As soon a farmer sells soya beans to us or maize to us, the farmer is starting to receive payments on their mobile money number, which is also linked to the bank account of their testing. So the person can, from the mobile money, account withdraw his or his cash instantly, wherever they are. So we don't do cash payment, so everything is online or digital payment.
0: Thank you for joining us for this insightful episode of the Roots to Foods podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the interview with the CEO of Innova. If you are as excited as we are about cultivating financial solutions for sustainable agriculture, remember to subscribe to our podcast on your preferred platforms. Your support drives our mission to nurture ideas that plant the seed of change. Stay connected with us on social media for more resources, conversations and opportunities to be part of the market transformation we are all envisioning. For this episode, thanks to our guests, colleagues at AV Ventures and ACDI Vocal Group, to our partners at the Corporate Council on Africa, Florie Leeser, John Olagides, Staisi Pompey, Biova Kabin, and Mima Nedelkovic, as well as to my colleagues Mavis Ahmed Degbe from Ghana David Kimathi from Kenya for their dedicated work in producing this podcast. Our podcast is also introducing a very valuable resource for entrepreneurs seeking to understand better how to access impact investing capital, the 2023 Annual Local Capital Provider Survey produced by the Collaborative for Frontier Finance. This valuable report can be found at www.frontierfinance.org. I repeat, www.frontierfinance.org. I'm your host, Ovidu Bujaran, and in our next episode, get ready to dive into another captivating topic, revolutionizing African agriculture through precision farming. We'll explore how cutting-edge technology is reshaping farming landscapes across Africa. Thank you again, and see you next time.